Hello, Simon Jacobson here, broadcasting from Cape Town, South Africa. As I look out the window here, I see the Grand Atlantic Ocean, but from a completely different perspective. So we'll be speaking about know your worth. Know your worth. When we think about the value that each one of us has, and I ask you to think about yourself right now. What worth do you have? What value do you have? How do you see and how do you define value? That's a critical question that can open up and expose and reveal so much about how we look at ourselves. So I'll just give a few options and see which ones fit most your personality, or I would say your perspective. Value how much money I have. I'm worth, I'm worth so much and so much. I have this and this in the bank, savings, investments, amount of income I make. That's one way to look at worth. Another is also your possessions, homes, cars, assets. Other ways of looking at worth, another way would be how others value me. If I feel that people respect me, I feel that people value my being, my input, my contribution. Sometimes that's measurable in dollars and cents as an employee-employer relationship. And sometimes it's measured in attitude, how people look at you, how people turn to you for advice. You can say those also goes into the category of validation. So I've said so far two types of value. One is financial and material, how much we possess, possessions. Another is the respect and the validation that we're given. There are two. Let's look at a few others. <clears throat> value and worth is based on certain individuals that you feel you must have their affirmation. It could be parents, it could be educators, it could be people in authority. How is that different than number two? Because it's not just turning to anyone. It's specific people that you want to please and you feel a need. And you feel that you are more valued when they affirm and they, yes, and they confirm and affirm your contribution. So it's a variation of number two, I should say, not a completely different category. It's still based on what others value you. Let me see if I can come up with some others. I think that really covers the value worth in context of how most people look at themselves. But let's talk about a different type of worth and value that has nothing to do with anything but yourself. Because the, what I just mentioned, if you were alone on this earth, on an island, and money meant nothing, and possessions meant nothing, and how other people looked at you meant nothing because there are no other people, what's, where is your value? What are you left with? So is there such a thing as inherent value, inherent worth, that despite what you acquire or possess, Despite how others look at you and how others value you, you have that inherent value. So here we have three, three categories of value. And I ask you to make a list on a piece of paper, all three, and mark one to ten. You know, even better, one to a hundred. How much percentage would you give in the importance of each one of them? In other words, if money and possessions is the way you define your value and it's like a real primary way, and without it you feel really worthless, then give it a, I don't know, 100, give it an 80. 
They should all add up to 100, is what I'm trying to say. So let's say 80 for money and possessions. 15 for uh, others value me, and that's 95. And 5, how much I value myself, my inherent worth. That's obviously a very one-sided picture. It could be um, 33, 33, 33. Or 33 and a third, 33 and a third. So do that. Break it into three parts and say how much, as, as, as best to your knowledge. And be honest, because there's no point. If you're not honest, you know, then, uh, then, then where are we going to go? So what I want to discuss, obviously, is demonstrate how so often we place our own personal value based on factors that are outside of us. Which, of course, leads us immediately to say, so then your value is completely arbitrary. If something outside of you affects your value, then if that thing is diminished, your value goes down. If it's increased, your value goes up. Whether that's possessions, money, and so on, and assets, or it's the respect and validation of others. So that's completely subject, not in your control. You can make very good investments, but you could lose money. You can be very, uh, feel very accomplished, but if people are not validating you, you will lose value in your own eyes. Whereas the third one is completely dependent on you. Because it's about your own inherent sense of self-respect and self-esteem. And it's pretty obvious, it's not a mystery and not a surprise, that I want to show you and teach and train a methodology how you can move away from one and two. Maybe not completely, but slowly shift the balance that the primary value should come from number three. So if it's an 80, 15, 5, it should become a, um, let's, let's, we'll go gradually, let's say 60, 20, 40. I'm sorry, 60, 20, 20. And then move our way, lower the first two, and to the point where the number three becomes your prominent. It would be beautiful if you could say that 95% of my value if we can quantify it, remember this is still numbers, it's not exact, but if 95 of my value comes from within me, and 5% comes from outside forces, divided equally, let's say, between possessions and respect of others, you're then very good place, and it will dramatically change the way you look at yourself and your life. So the first thing is awareness. As I always say, have the cure of any problem is awareness. You can't get anywhere if you're not aware of what your situation is. If you're convinced you have self-esteem from within, and the fact is, no, it's built by others and by other factors outside of you, you need to know that. So that's why it's so vital to begin with that clarity. And for the record, if there's other things, sources of value that I've not mentioned, by all means, this is not etched in stone, just a good way that I believe that most people can define and quantify their lives. Okay. So let's now analyze this a bit further and see the consequences. The first consequence I mentioned is that a value comes from outside of you, then that outside is the circumstances that defines your value. If it comes from within you, you're far more in control of it and perhaps entirely in control of it because it's completely your attitude. So what distinguishes? Why do some people find value in outside things and some people find value from within the answer, as always, goes back often to our childhoods. What happened in our childhood? When we started becoming conscious of our own value, what type of value was valued? What 
what um, qualities were valued. So a newborn child doesn't have these issues. Well, I should correct myself. A newborn child born to new healthy parents shouldn't have these issues. Healthy parents will show unconditional love, nurturing, will be there, will protect, will do whatever the child needs, which in a sense, even without speaking, affirms the child's presence. Just the mere fact the child cries and you wake up to that cry and you respond to it, the child is recognizing when I call, there's a response. I'm worthy of a response. As the children get a little older, they can speak. It's the same idea. They come back home from school. You're excited to see them. You're excited what they've accomplished today. You're not critical and don't dismiss them. You validate that child. You are building a validation of a child that will feel good about themselves. So you'll say, one second, that validation is coming from outside. No, but it's validating the child's natural instinct of self-esteem. Children don't have, no one's born with low self-esteem. So yes, validation is necessary, but it's not the source. It's not the source for the child's self-esteem and self-respect. It's like the water, that water is the garden, but the garden is the child. Of course, when that's deprived, when parents are not there for their children, are not validating, are criticizing, are silencing, are dismissing, are rebuking on an ongoing basis, I should say, because every child is resilient, slowly the child begins to see itself as not valuable, and my value is based on whether I please my parents or I please those that are criticizing me. And I'm always looking for the compliment. I'm always looking for their love. When love comes naturally from them, your natural self-love also emerges. So I think I should emphasize that. I didn't emphasize it enough, that the self-love is an inherent component in us. So when we talk about those three things, let's go back. Nobody is born looking for money and possessions to find value. People don't even know. A child, a newborn child has no clue that those, th- those things are even valuable to the world. And the same thing with the validation from others, from parents. Yes, a child will look for validation, but not the early years. The early years, it's just expected. Then the child wants that validation. As I said, like a gardener, you water the garden. But that's not because you're giving them value. It's because you're affirming their value. Very big difference. If, you, if the child feels you're giving it to them and you're not affirming it, then yes, then they, number two, in the three value structures I defined, become so predominant. And that's where you have the concept of a pleaser. I always need to please. And you swallow your own feelings. And you're always looking for approval. And you're always looking for approval from parents or from, uh, from other adults or from others. I know adults that it's sad to see how they completely live in the shadow of that dominant parent or parents. And that's all that matters. The approval of the parent. That's the first thing they think about before anything else. Not what's good for me, but what will my mother or father approve? So value then is based completely based on another person. When in truth it should be the other way around. So that's the first factor. Early childhood, formative years. And the earlier, the more effect it has. As we always speak about the fact that a psyche is like a warm bowl of wax. Every experience you have as a child gets embedded in that warm wax, and then hardens as you harden, as your arteries harden, as your personality hardens, as you become a mature adult. Second factor, of course, are others like educators, teachers, and then, of course, peers, your friends. Why is bullying so, bullying so devastating? Because it is attacking the natural self-esteem you have. You're constantly being picked on. At some point, you say to yourself, what's the matter with me? Why am I so unlikable? 
you look at yourself, you don't look at them as bad. Maybe in the beginning you do. But then when it's done enough times, you begin to look at yourself. And that's where abuse is so devastating and every form of invalidation and violation of our dignity. What it basically does is says you have no value. Your value is based on whether I give it to you or I don't give it to you, or based on whether others will give it to you or don't give it to you, or based on objects, money and others that will give it to you. And that brings me, yes, to a fourth category, which is really an outgrowth of others, but when we begin to become addicted to, let's say, behaviors, or addicted to substances, what are we looking for? You know what we're looking for? Some peace, some solace, some happiness, some value. It could be completely illusional, but at least it's a respite from feeling so horrible about yourself. So people self-medicate. Or whether it's anorexia or other forms of behavior in order to become more valuable. People start addicted to beautifying themselves to the point their bodies what they worship. And every detail they cannot get beyond because they've been taught in a very distorted way that your value is based on your looks, based on your, your appearance. So I would put that probably in category one and two, but you can make it a separate category as well. So when we go back now to our list, you could add that, that my value is based on my looks. What do I appear? But that's often how others see you. So it's really number two, but in the category of beauty, beautifying yourself, or it can be the category of other ways, that other behaviors that numb us and cause that type of temporary, illusionary, delusionary bliss, that causes us to feel, I feel good about myself now, at least for now. What other factors? Those are really the biggest factors, frankly. I would add, in our modern world especially, the world of marketing and advertising, media, the fact that the average Western boy or girl by age 20 has seen or heard one million advertisements, especially in the media age of the multimedia age of, of the internet, the, the streaming of information coming our way is so incessant and so, is so, um, what's the word besides incessant is another word I wanted to use, is so um, inundating, so inundating that we don't even know what effect it has on our own standards. You start seeing these beautiful people, magazines, people traveling, cars, cigars, private planes, islands, the Oscars, etc., all this creates in your mind, wow, that's glamour. That's what I would love to have. Sometimes you don't even, you, you, very, most often you don't get it, so you begin to worship the people that do have it. Yet another place to value. If I see other people who think look valuable, it makes me feel more valuable. You don't even know whether they feel valuable. They could be the blind leading the blind. They may be even more insecure than you may ever imagine. But that's how it is. And that also goes into people who continuously look for ways to project a type of, um, I guess, success and has nothing to do with that inherent side of themselves. I gave a few examples of, as I said, how to measure it, but as I said, again, I repeat, you can add others because I don't want to limit it to those that I said. It's just very, the ones I said are very prominent and very obvious. So there are forces actively at work right now, as we speak, that are feeding you messages of what is valuable. You go into a supermarket, and this is a very um, innocuous. No one is aggressively forcing you. The colors, the scents, 
the placement of products. What's at the counter when you check out? It's all scientifically figured out of where people look, what people are interested in, and trying to sell you something. Now, many of these products may be excellent products, and you want to know about them. But how many of them are just actually waste, junk food, or junk material that just feeds a certain part of you that makes you feel a little better? I come home, I bought a new pair of shoes. Did you need the shoes? Not necessarily. Now, I'm not suggesting all these things are necessarily bad, but if they start becoming forces, like going back to the measuring, to the yardstick that I described earlier, they become factors that actually make the percentage of your value dependent on them, that is already weakening the value that comes from within. If you have value from within and that value says, you know what, today I want to go shopping and just dress nicer, get a new set of clothing, go to a new pair of shoes or some other thing, that's not what I'm talking about. If it's dependent on that and your value doesn't have anything but that, then you're in trouble. Even though you may not feel the trouble. So that's the key thing is to be aware. We all do things that make us feel better. And, it, and it's not alarming if it's in moderation and if it's driven by a very conscious decision and you're aware of it. Where does it become a power that's destructive is when it becomes a control of you and you become dependent on it for that value. So I just wanted to make that clear. So these messages, these voices, these forces that are constantly inundating us from every direction, you need to be aware of it. That's why we actually were created in a very interesting way. The only way that somebody can intrude, I would say, penetrate, enter your psyche, is through five doors. There's only five doors in. Think of a house. There's only five doors where people can enter your house against your will. Door number one is your vision. Door number two is your ears, your hearing. Door number three is your nose, your smell. Door number four is your taste. And door number five is your touch. We, yes, we call them the senses. But they're called sha'arim, but they're called gates. They're like gates in a walled city because the rest of your body, nothing can enter. It's true, you could have an injection in different ways, but I'm talking about a natural sensory experiences. Our hair and our skin are meant to protect us from many, many infections, and they do. They catch a lot of dust and other toxins, and they're like filters. So the only really way in is through that. You see something, and we know how seduced we can be by things we see. That's why visual videos are extremely powerful. They hypnotize us. Next time you watch a show, just stop and look at yourself watching. Try to look at yourself watching, and you see how it captivates us mesmerizes us. Hearing, not quite as intense, but in a different way. Smell, taste, and touch. So five gates. Now what do we do in a home where we don't want to have burglars or intruders? You put up burglar alarms. You put up locks. You put up, you lock the windows. You lock the doors. You do things that don't allow easily something into you, into, your, into that domain. How about our personal lives? Do we have gates? Yes. What do we do? Is anyone watching those gates? Who are the gatekeepers? And that's you. You control what enters into your life. I'm not saying it's easy. Sometimes you walk down the street, you don't control what is being beamed at you or streamed at you, but you control whether you're going to allow it in, whether you're going to focus on it. And that's where life becomes in your control. You have the ability to determine whether outer stimulants are going to intrude and invade and violate your boundary. 
Now you'll say, one second, sights, taste, sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell are all bad. No, 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 of course not. There are things, beautiful things to see. There are beautiful things to hear. And there are beautiful things to smell, taste, and touch. But you need to determine which is healthy, which is productive. Now, of course, if you're addicted to those things because you're depending on them for your value, you're not going to put a gatekeeper up. Why would you? You want them in. It would be like your house is open. Anyone could enter. And you're actually inviting and want certain forces to enter because it satisfies your immediate need. It gives you a sense of value. But it's vital to know that besides, well, after we determine what gives you value, to know that because of that, one of the consequences is what you allow in. The person who has 95% of inherent value, inherent value is not dependent on your senses because it's not dependent on outside forces. So that person, even if their eyes, ears, taste, touch, and smell are shut down, the value exudes from them or exudes within them. The person who does not have that needs that outside stimulation more. So that's the next thing we need to know is that stimulation and how that value is uh, acquired. The more it comes from outside of you, the more you need to have those doors open. And what enters is always going to be not completely in your control. And very often, even things you don't want to enter will enter. And then to a point where you'll say, oh, you know what, I want to shut the door. You can shut the door, but you're dependent on it. It's not going to be that easy. You'll be tempted time and again. So inherent value has much more control over the flow, the give and take, the exhaling and inhaling, the contraction and expansion of our lives of what we take in and what we release. So imagine that you embody everything enters without filters. That would be quite destructive, quite dangerous. Same thing psychologically and emotionally. You don't want everything to enter. You want to filter it. But to filter it, you have to also determine what you find is valuable. If what you think is valuable because you need it for you, you're going to leave your doors open for unwanted guests, basically. So that's point number two in the discussion of I don't want another point number. I don't want that. The numbers may be confusing here. This is the next point in understanding how we achieve and reach for that value. But let's talk now about, since we talked about the forces that are affecting us. I spoke about early formative years. Now I spoke about marketing and media and all other things that advertise and try to get our attention. But let's not talk about inherent value. Because here you can say, one second, you're telling me that we have inherent value and that's not dependent on outside. But we do need, as I said before, parents. We want love in our lives. That's coming from another person. We want people to respect us. What's wrong with that? I say again, there's nothing wrong with it. As long as it's not a dependency and that you feel that's the source of your sustenance. When we go buy food in a grocery store, the healthy approach is my body needs fuel. I don't have enough fuel in my own home stacked up, so I go purchase it. You don't see the grocery store as being your source of sustenance. You see it's a store among other stores that I need to purchase certain commodities. Your body tells you it's hungry. Your body knows how to eat. You need food to fill that body. So there's a balance there. There's nothing wrong to, to know that we need that. It would be very different if you said... I, don't, I have no value. I have no sustenance on my own. I'm an unhealthy person. Unless I get the grocery stores open, I'm a dead person. 
That's a very distorted view. Psychologically, the same thing. Of course we need love and we want love. But again, it's watering of your garden. But your garden is inherently valuable. Even when you're asleep and even when no one else is around, watering it. And then in a healthy way, we water others and they water us. We nurture others, they nurture us. And that is the essence of what love is. The nurturing, the transcendence of yourself. But you know when love becomes unhealthy? When it becomes solely a need. It's my need and I'm desperate for it. I'll give because I need. True love, as I've discussed a number of times, and here's not the, the, the time to discuss it. There's many classes I've given on it, and you can easily find it <coughs> at MeaningfulLife.com, is that love, true love, is transcendence. How much you give. A person of self-esteem does not need to turn to the other for their self-value. How often do people love or are seeking love to fill that gap? to compensate for the vacuum and the void of not getting and being deprived of love in their childhood or other times. So then love becomes another drug. Now sometimes it can help to some extent, but nobody can ever give you really inherent value. They can validate it, they can nurture it as I've discussed, but give it to you has to come from within. And relationships will suffer if one party, and especially if both parties, Look to the other for their inherent value. A good relationship is, I have my inherent value, you have your inherent value, come together like this. If one annihilates the other, one swallows up the other, one suffocates the other, then that's not a relationship. So some people who are compensating often are very aggressive in love, not because they're so confident, because they're so desperate. And others are, are very desperate in receiving and so hungry that you can literally take advantage of them in the, worst possible, in the worst possible ways. So inherent value, where does it come from? It's your birthright. In the words of the Bible, you were created in the divine image. In simple English, it means you are indispensable. You have a unique and indispensable mission to fulfill in this world, and that's why you're here. No one has given that to you except from the higher forces from God himself. Your parents haven't given it to you, your educators have not, your boss not, nothing. So it's in you, just like you have a heart, and you have a mind, and you have faculties, thank God, and you have healthy faculties. No one gave that to you. Your parents gave it to you? Yes. The fact of the way is, the way God created the biological structures, a husband and wife come together in a sacred way, they conceive of a child. That child carries their genes. But it's not that they gave you your arms and legs. They have the power to breed, to breed and to create life, a divine power. But without the soul that God gave it, it wouldn't give birth. So we thank our parents for passing that on. But they did not give you who you are. They did not give you your life. They were channels to bring you the gift of life. And that's why we honor them. And that's why when we honor them, we say, in order that you should live long, it's a direct result because they gave you life, honoring them, honors, honors your life, honors God's gift of life to us, in that sense. So when you're thinking of it that way, that inherent value is there. And your parents are thankful, like the gardeners who brought it to you, who nurtured it, who helped cultivate it. So inherent, inherent value comes from the core of who you are. 
There's only, there's only, the only way it gets obliterated is because of the factors I mentioned before. Whether it's parental, educators, peers, uh, marketing, sales, advertising, the, the, the pressure of and, and uh, demands on your consciousness and on your sensor, st- over, overstimulation of your senses, all those things are basically attacking your core inner value. So your, your objective is, if you indeed were very high up on the first two levels of value, including beauty and other things we mentioned, then you are in need of reconnecting with yourself. Because as long as you don't, you're going to keep turning to the others for value because everybody needs to feel valuable. Remember that. Because if you're in a state where you don't feel it at all, that can be very dangerous. So even though it may not be f- fake value and like a sugar high and temporary value, we crave for it. So the only way out of that is filling your life with inherent value, which means focusing on one thing and one thing only, your soul. You wake up in the morning, you acknowledge, thank you for giving me back my soul, not someone else's. And it's mine, and it's pure. And it travels through all the levels of the cosmos, enters into your being, and gives you the strength to be who you have to be, to be what you want, what you need to be. That is the approach. And the more you feed your soul, even when you don't understand why, the more value starts emerging from here instead of from out there. The higher the inherent, the more it eats up the need for the outside, the external worth. More inner worth, less need for outer validation, whether it's through possessions or people or looks or other things that validate or you feel gives you that type of sense of worth. That's the percentage. It's a given. So the solution is very straightforward. Fill your life with soulful activity. From the meditations and prayers that I just mentioned in the morning, in the evening, through studying the x-ray of your soul, which we find deeply in the inner dimension, the soul of mysticism, through actions that are soulful, through speech that's soulful, through activities that are soulful, music, transcendence, through things that are outside of you and outside of others valuing you, things that just make you feel like you belong. You stand, sometimes go into the water, you go to a spa, or you're in nature. You suddenly feel, you suddenly feel connected. Connectedness is a sense of value. The more you can generate that from within, the less you'll need from without. Absolutely. You'd be surprised how easy it is to do. The reason it's so difficult is, one, because our routines are not, don't include it, and we've already developed bad habits. Number two, we weren't trained and taught to focus on that. We were trained and taught, because it's like the vicious cycle of the blind leading the blind, that people, that you must make sure that others value you, others respect you. You must make sure to have this, this, A, B, C, D, E, a whole list of needs and goods, to give you that value. So as long as you have that type of, being inundated with that type of a message, that's what you look for. Plus the first point, routine, and there you have a situation why it's so difficult. But if you think about it, it's not difficult because fundamentally difficult. So you're not aware of it, and you're not used to it. That's what you need, awareness and routine. So make it your routine to feed your soul, to nourish your soul. 
Soul is nourished through love as well. Soul is nourished with being with friends. It's not always about exploiting or, or, uh, or monetizing or commodifying. It's sometimes just having a nice conversation, a nice trip, just a pure, innocent experience. You feel it very greatly when you deal with your children because your children are not yet in that world and you learn from their innocence, from their vulnerability, and you celebrate it. The list goes on. The more you feed it, the more your value comes from within. The more it comes from within, the more you ne- the less you need coming from without. And then your chart will change. And keep this chart that I mentioned, the chart that documents the different columns and the percentages. Your goal is to change it. Change it slowly, even by one percentage point, a little more inherent, a little less external. And you'll be surprised how you literally can shift your life. And I would be much more impressed if you do it slowly than quickly. Because quickly can be a quick fix and may not last. Slowly is a real shift of a real shift of your diet. In this case, your psychological, emotional diet. So the idea of value in this sense, knowing your worth, is critical because when you know your worth, you then can do something about shifting what really gives you your worth. I have a class I gave, more than one class, many talks. Is your self-worth defined by your net worth? It complements the discussion here, as does many other discussions I've had on this topic. And you can find them all at MeaningfulLife.com, where there's a wide array of materials. Really, extremely wide. Please take advantage of it. Most of it is free. Obviously, we survive and need your support as far as donations go, purchasing our products, spreading the word. But the key thing I want to convey, and I say this to you personally, you have much more value, infinitely more value, than you will ever imagine. I say it to myself as well, because we have no idea the depth, the richness, the treasure of your own soul. We barely know things about our body. But the soul? So you have the most valuable, most exciting adventure of all. Discovering yourself. Know thyself. Know your value. Know your inherent value. It's sometimes so sad to see and meet people who are tremendous people. I mean, I feel everybody has tremendous qualities. But you meet somebody, you see their qualities, and they're not even aware. They think they're simple. They think they're... You know, they're not like others, they're not as wealthy as others, they're not as rich as others. Whether it's physical wealth, everybody has unbelievable resources. And it's sad that most of us don't actualize it, our, our unique song. To me, this is the most passionate cause you can have, is to help people discover that. And then, break the routine, get the awareness, have the courage to dare to be yourself to be the pioneer that you can be. And every one of us has it, because it's our birthright. And as your inherent value goes up, you'll see much less dependency on other val- validation from others, and from items, or objects, or money, or beauty, all the other, other crutches that we depend on so desperately often for our own inner self-respect. It's always an honor to speak soul to soul. I hope these words express and give you the tools 
the methodologies to, to begin or to continue the journey you're on, please be in touch. Very easy to access us, MeaningfulLife.com. You can write to us, share thoughts, questions, suggestions for further discussions. We're an ongoing process of unpacking and unleashing new, new services and new programs and new activities. So please look forward to that. Thank you very much, and be well.